like the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. Hello everybody, welcome to the pilot episode of the Lowdown Wrestling Podcast. My name is Robert Fuller, and with me is Sorry Paul. Sorry for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, sure. Um, pretty much blew up about myself, um, living in the UK in Liverpool, and being a um, Western fan on and off about 20 years. And I thought, well, getting inspired by other podcasts, um, so I talk about, do a podcast series about the streak, as everyone knows it, or the Undertaker's streak. Uh, Undertaker debuted uh, Survivor Series in 1990, and then it's going to do uh, 21 WrestleMania matches and won them all. Um, so, so at the time we're talking about, which is WrestleMania 7, uh, where are you as a wrestling fan? I was a fairly new wrestling fan. I mean, I think I, uh, you know, I was very conscious of, of wrestling by this time, um, but I think I'd been watching for about two years previous to this. Um you know the you know the memories are fuzzy because I was so young. I think like WrestleMania seven, I was eight years old, so um, I don't really remember too much before this. I think WrestleMania seven was maybe my first show that I absolutely remember watching as a kid. Um, yeah. So it you know it, it's pretty special to me. Um, the Undertaker match, however, is uh, one of the more forgettable matches on the show. I think I, what people sort of forget about Taker is that for a long time um he kind of he was a he was an attraction but he wasn't at all considered kind of a big deal i guess yeah i suppose that's true i mean it's um the first a lot of the matches in the streak are great but fortunately the early ones aren't really that great and one thing i noticed one thing i'm going to see myself comparing it is comparing a lot of what he does now to what he did then yeah uh, so the whole atmosphere, I mean, like, obviously, when Undertaker comes out, there's no, like, the lights don't go out. It just goes off straight away, and Paul Bearer's there. And one thing I noticed, especially with the entrance, is that I seem to focus a lot on, like, the kids' reactions. And it's just, like, just staring more, not really, I don't think they're, like, kind of afraid or more curious than anything else. Not really afraid of Undertaker, just, like, who is this guy, that kind of thing. Yeah, there was this bit of, like, like we have no idea what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. That's true. I mean, well, pretty much Undertaker debuted in Survivor Series 1990. He was in the match with me and Donna Man, with Women Blues, and they took on Dusty Rose, Heart Foundation, and Coco Beware. And uh, did you actually get the chance to watch that match that I sent you? You know, I did. And it was, it was funny, because I'm not sure I'd ever actually seen the match in full before. And I'd actually completely forgotten that you know, the, the first guy that Taker faces is is Bret Hart, um, which, not for nothing, but I think that's a pretty special beginning. Um, you know, it, 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 it he could have started with Coco Beware, you know, like that's that could have happened. Um, and it d- does it seem weird to you that there was any overlap between The Undertaker being in the show and Coco Beware being on the show? <laughs> like, yes, it, it's true. I mean, um, I've never seen many of... Coco Beware matches as well. I mean, I'm a big fan of Bret Hart. Always like Dusty Wells. Kind of a soft spot for Nyhart as well. Yeah. Um, 
it was just it was just like a fun match. It was just it was just the way they did it because especially at the beginning, there was an interview that I saw just before that match where uh, the and sh- sh- oh, God, was the name he was the interviewer Sean. He's doing all the interviews before the matches. Can't remember the guy's name. Sean Moody. Um, but that's it. I know Sean something. Um, he was there and he's like going, well, who's, you know, who's this fourth guy kind of thing? It was like, oh. And you know, DBR's like that, yeah, he would be there, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then he comes out, and he comes out with love and love. And I didn't know that until quite recently. But to me, that never really fit. No, and I think they, you know, they sort of fixed that pretty quickly. They knew it didn't fit. Um, but I think what the deal was, was that, uh, the so the Brother Love show, which replaced Piper's Pit, and was actually, like, home to a lot of scenes um, in wrestling at the time. Um, Brother Love would, would introduce characters on the show and would um, would help spark feuds between other other characters. Um, and so I guess they just, like, uh, they, they would just use him to sort of propel new new guys. And I, I guess I, I have no idea why they used him for this. They course corrected really quickly. They had, it would have been within a, a month or two that... Um, on the Brother Love show, he says that he needed to like spend more time working on his show, so he's like handing the Undertaker off to this Paul Bearer guy. Um, in retrospect, uh, obviously it would have been better if he had been introduced with Paul Bearer, and it would have been a nice tandem. But oh, yeah, definitely, but you know, at the at the, you know, uh, hindsight is everything. Maybe maybe Paul Bearer didn't work there at the time. Maybe maybe what happened was that they thought it might work with Brother Love, and it didn't. And then they hired someone to be more like, um, more like what Paul Bearer would end up being. You know, they needed to find something more appropriate. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with the onset at the beginning, you can tell he probably might have dissed him at the time because he didn't say much. He wanted, you know, someone like a spokesperson, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. And um, I, I mean, I love Undertaker as, as a you know matches, but I know his match skills were never on the level of someone like Bret Hart or probably like someone like CM Punk or John Cena now. So that's perhaps having the manager did kind of make sense. I guess that's what's funny about seeing him against Bret Hart like right away is that what what's what's kind of fun about the Survivor Series 1990 matches? It's actually pretty good, and the and the Undertaker is actually pretty good in it. He's a lot better in that match than he is like against Snuka at WrestleMania. Um he's actually he's a lot better there than he is in most of his matches in his first couple of years. Like his debut is very strong. Yeah, it's it's a very strong debut and um what the million dollar team does win it, but with Undertaker, he eliminates Dusty Rhodes, uh Bubba Love starts like kicking the trap out of him. But does the one you know, fights back when the ticket comes after him and he gets counted out because mm-hmm. he was the legal man at the time. Yeah. Uh, and at the end, Miller you know, did win. Um, I think it was a small package or something that he tried to win with. Um, so, yeah, but unfortunately, we're not here to talk about that match. Yeah. <laughs> it's the WrestleMania match. Um, yeah, it's simple. Fortunately, um, what I noticed with the early WrestleManias is that there's a lot. Hey, there's 14 matches on this card. Oh, man. WrestleMania 7 is a <laughs> smorgasbord. It is. I've. Like that may be the most matches out of any WrestleMania, except for maybe four. I think four had more matches, but WrestleMania seven is is loaded, and unfortunately, none of the matches are very long. Like I think Warrior Savage is the longest. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen the event myself. The only matches I've seen is this one and the main event. Um, You've never seen Warrior Savage? Oh man, you got to track that down. I've been meaning to. I think. 
I tried to look on YouTube a few years ago, and for some bizarre reason, it wasn't on at the time. It probably is now. Yeah. Because a lot more things on now, especially WWE. Yeah. Kind of. Well, the second the second the network YouTube turns on, you gotta you gotta watch WrestleMania Seven. Well, if we get in the UK, I might consider it, yeah. uh, but I don't think we do. Uh, so yeah, um, pretty much it's it's a four minute match, so there's not really much to talk about. Um, one thing I noticed is with Gunnar Monsoon, he, he mentioned Jimmy Snuka as a phenom, and obviously he's going to take a take that mantle pretty much within the next few months. I know he, I think he does mention it in WrestleMania Eight when he takes on Jake the State Roberts as on the no as the phenom for the Taker. So I found that quite interesting that. You know, the Fiend was with one person, and then it's been taken off him and given to someone else instead. Yeah, it's a very old wrestling uh, thing to do. Is like, I beat you, so now I get to take your nickname. <laughs> Real weird thing, especially especially at the time, because still like, you know, kind of like cartoony gimmicks around that time. Yeah, like, obviously like Ruben Blues and No Taker as well. Um, yeah, I mean, what's I don't know how big a deal Taker was supposed to be. Um, there were so many characters at the time who would get debuted and they would have this like insane gimmick that didn't make any sense, but you know, it was, it was a really cartoony PG period. Um, and the undertaker was just another one of those. He wasn't particularly well thought out, uh, he, you know, but he really stuck to his character. I think it, it took him seven or eight years before he did an interview out of character. Yeah, that's true. That's probably when... That would have been when he changed gimmick to the bikers, wouldn't it? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, he. I think what it was, it was just the level of commitment. I think that's what made it work. And the fact that all a lot of the elements were there right away. Like, yes, all the lighting is different. Things would evolve. His his costume would evolve. But so much was right at the beginning. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, I mean something is different now. I mean, at the, at the time, during his march, he doesn't really sell much of Taker's offense. He just kind of just takes it. Uh, he, he's, I don't think he goes on the floor at all during this match. Mm-hmm. So it's, it is one of those, you know, as I said before, we'll be comparing a lot of what he did then to what he was, he's doing now in the last couple of matches he's had. Is that like, Sorry, you were going to say something. Well, I, well, the first thing I noticed was that at the beginning of both matches, Survivor Series and WrestleMania, um, at Survivor Series, uh, Roddy Piper um, says it, and at WrestleMania, Bobby Heenan says it, but they both really want you to pay attention to Undertaker's ham hocks. Yeah. Like, are, those are hands, right? <laughs> is that... Yeah, it's weird. It's, um, I mean... This is the first WrestleMania you've got Bobby Heenan and Gunnar together, but yeah. Heenan was still managing, so he wasn't there all the time. Yeah, which I found another weird thing they did. Um, so yeah, pretty much with this match, um, Jimmy Snuka bizarrely decides to go to the corner because they just stand there for a good minute, just staring at each other. Mm-hmm. Snuka goes to the corner and Undertaker starts attacking him. Does a flying clothesline, uh, puts him in the corner. Uh, you get a little bit of offense by Snuka, but Taker needs him and takes him to the outside. Um, and then Snooker uh, does a weird impressive suplex where you know, he's, got, he's got Snooker on the, on the edge of the ring and suplexes him back into the ring. I don't know why I just really like that move. Yeah, that's like cool. Very, I, yeah. You know, Snooker's still very good at this period. Like, he's, you know, he's definitely on his way out, but, you know, he's still great. Yeah, because he, he wasn't in WWE the next year, was he? No, I think he was gone by the next one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but... Luckily, um, Taker does try to do an elbow, flying elbow, but he gets super voice and goes a bit of offense. And then um, he tries 
He's trying to like jump in the air. Maybe he's trying to do like a crossbody, but take a duck as Snooker bounces off the top of the ropes. I noticed this that, and this is something that Undertaker would eventually evolve away from doing. But he does sort of um, like a Samoa Joe kind of defense, where he will just like walk away. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I never really thought of it that way because, especially with Samoa Joe, I just love that. It's it's one because I know with Samoa face someone to go, go on the top rope, he goes off and. Smodo just like walks away. Walks away. <laughs> Which and and he sort of points to his brain and he's like, "Look, I'm smart." And he gets all arrogant about it. Taker just like walks away and doesn't emote because he's you know a, a zombie robot or something. Um, I I like these first two matches because it seems that and even though even at WrestleMania Undertaker would have had thirty forty matches by this point, but the the commentators are still trying to figure him out. Um, like he they talk about Paul Bearer and how Bobby Heaton brings up that Paul Bearer holds the urn away from his body when things are going well and clutches it close to his chest when things are going poorly. Like they're pointing out these little character details that, that um, really come up later on in his career. Yeah. Especially, um, I know Gorilla does ask him about the urn. Uh, he was like, oh, what's in the urn? And Gorilla's going, well, your broadcast journalist isn't your job to find out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you, you figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Cause I know, I know it does that the next year. I think both times he was like, I don't care. You know, mm-hmm. I'm interested, but I don't care to find out the answer, mm-hmm. which which I found really, um, really weird. I mean, especially the next year. I mean, the country between those two next year is just phenomenal. And WrestleMania 8 is, my, is the first ever WWE event that I ever watched. Uh, so it's very close to my heart. But one of the reasons for that is not just the match. It's just the commentary between those two. The chemistry is just unbelievable. Right. I very much miss Monsoon and Heenan. I will, like... I had uh, WWE 24-7 for a long time, that on-demand channel that they're shutting yeah. down. Um, and one of the things I used to really enjoy was just putting on, like, an old episode of Superstars and just listening to those two. Like, the match could be terrible or the whole show could be terrible, but those two yeah. narrating the whole thing made it worth it. And, yeah, 7-8, like, WrestleMania 7 and 8's commentary are so phenomenal. And, and the SummerSlams and Survivor Series is that they're on as well in that period. So good. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, back to the match. Um, pretty much, um, there's one bit where Taker drags him inside and he tries another jump in the air, but Taker catches him. And I thought he does. I thought he did a tombstone trade away. I thought that'd be a good way to end the match, but he yeah. doesn't. He kind of puts him back down, pulls the punches, then does the tombstone, gets the win. And one thing I noticed as well, he doesn't stand to like celebrate. He's like. Pin over and he's off. And he he's, leaves. He's yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's back to the wing. Yeah. Which I found really weird as well. It's, it comes you know, with well, that it comes with that amazing little bit of commentary, that little subtle thing Bobby Heenan says as he's living the ring, he's like, Undertaker's not even sweating. Yeah, that's true. Because you know, the fate it didn't really do much. <laughs> he didn't really do much. Hey, but even four or five minutes of wrestling will make a person sweat. But Heenan was right, he wasn't really sweating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which leads to his character. He's something totally different. Oh, he is. He's, he's something that, you know, mainstream Western crowds, I'm not sure. I know WWE was kind of really, really kind of spreading out nationally mm-hmm. at that time. Because at that time, there was no war. War was about to start 93. That starts, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, uh, I you know, a little bit after this. This was this was actually in a bit of a downturn. Um, you know, the, I'd say the peak of that 80s period was WrestleMania 5. And it starts to it starts to go on a bit of a downturn. And by 7, 
it's kind of clear like like they had to change the arena for WrestleMania 7 because they they didn't sell enough tickets. Yeah, there was, it was going to be was it the Rose Bowl they were going to put it in? Exactly. And it was, it was going to be in this, in this big arena in LA and they couldn't they 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 just couldn't fill it. Um so they 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 blamed it on the war in Iraq and yeah. and moved it to a smaller arena. Yeah, I heard there's something to do with like is that with that or something to do with like a, a security or yeah, the, no, yeah, because the, kind of like going, no, the really. slaughter was playing the Iraqi sympathizer, so they thought security would need to be beefed up, so they moved it to a smaller arena, which was like an obviously bunk uh, reason. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of those weird things, isn't it? I mean, we're especially, I mean, WrestleMania seven, we said for only ever seen two matches. I hope to get around to see the Taken Savage one eventually. I mean, uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, Savage, sorry, Warrior Savage. Yeah, Savage Warrior is like that's maybe the match I watched on that show the most. It's the most theatrical, definitely. It's maybe the most theatrical wrestling match of the early '90s. Um, it's not a wrestling match so much as this like w- weird tragic, like tragedy love story. Like you'll you'll see it when you when you watch it. Um, yeah. But but. That happens right after this match. This match is sort of the cool down match before Savage Warrior. Yeah, it is definitely because yeah, it's the match before, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much the story of the match. There's four, only four and a half minutes. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to ask you is that looking at this match, do you did you think that he would go on to last another twenty years? God, no, no, of course not. There's nothing here that says this guy's going to be headlining. WrestleMania is for 30 years or for 23 years. Like, no, not at all. Um, he was interesting. You know, it's an interesting character. I didn't even see it coming that he would beat Hulk Hogan in eight months from this point. Right? Like, yeah, those was that no one saw coming, did they? Nobody saw that coming. Like, it was the, like, obviously the people in charge at the time, Vince and whoever was writing at the time, would obviously saw something special in him, but I don't think anybody else did. Um, and even when he won the title, it was like, um, this guy's not a big deal. Take the title off him immediately. <laughs> and they did. Yeah. It's six days later. Yeah. Uh, that was this Tuesday in Texas. Exactly. And, um, um, I've always made the argument that the undertaker was an interesting character and that character, um, got him through the first five or six years of his career where he was a really bad wrestler. Yeah. Um, and like that as a wrestler would not have survived at all. Uh, even in this period where there's a lot of bad wrestling happening. Um, but the character got him to, say, 1997, 98, when he started to be a good wrestler. Yeah, that's just goes through. like really kind of... Yeah, because after 98, when he turned heel from the ministry and all well, that, yeah, that stuff. Way, but I'm, but yeah. I'm, I'm thinking specifically like the, the couple of months with Brett, the couple of months with Sean... Yeah. Um, he would go on to do that feud with Kane, which was better than anybody thought it would be. Um, you know, good, like really good stuff. And then he would come back in, with a different gimmick entirely and be a much better wrestler. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when he came back as the as the biker because that was something that was another thing I no no expected because I remember seeing it and I didn't recognize him straight away. Mm-hmm. I was like, who the, who the hell is this guy? Kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, is it Undertaker? Really? Yeah, oh, that's, that's, kind of that's crazy. Yeah. But then he would just like, I, I, and I think whoever maybe didn't like that gimmick would give him a pass for the actual wrestling quality because it really improved during that period. Um, the, the interesting thing about the streak, and you're, you're going to find this talking with other people throughout this series, is that I don't think anybody 
cared about the streak until maybe 2001, 2002. Well, with the streak, I know that Jim Walsh makes a really big deal of it. I know he mentions it in WrestleMania 13, and every WrestleMania up to 21 is mentioned. Yeah. Uh, when he when he beats Flair, I know you're going to talk to me about that match. That's when the first time when Taker kind of acknowledges it himself. That's right. That's, that's the first time Taker himself acknowledges the streak. But you're right. Up until then, they, they would mention that he's undefeated. But I don't think they ever like gave it a number. No, they didn't. It wasn't until when he faced Randy Orton in WrestleMania 21 where the streak actually became part of the story. Right. Because at that time, Randy Orton was going through his second killer gimmick. Yeah. I'm not going to have to watch that match yet because that was during my Savannah. So I kind of got out of the wrestling just before WrestleMania 21. Oh, until that's, a, that's, a good time to, that's a good time to leave, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's weird because in, in the UK, the way the TV deal is, um, Sky Boss pretty much just shows everything. They own by the same company that own Fox. That own Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, and they used to show all the pay-per-views on the Sky Sports channels. And I, w- I worked in my... Uh, I was a janitor in my student union. So I used to work Sunday night. So every time the West was on, I was just at the bar to put it on. You close the bar. I make sure everyone's out. And I just stay and watch, watch the um, event. Right. But... But again, in 2005, WWE wanted Sky to stop doing that. They wanted them to use, we got like the box office, the pay-per-view, like the probably pay-per-view service that we have here right. for that. So now it's kind of, I think out of the 12, I think all but four on the, on the box office channel now. And that's kind of when I started to get out of it because I wasn't technically getting paid to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny, I, I was always... At the same time, I was kind of jealous of how it worked with Sky Sports. Because in, in Canada, it's been pay-per-view forever. Um, yeah. But you would always hear them talk about how it's just airing on Sky Sports. And if you're a wrestling fan in England, you could just kind of get it. Like, I guess, like, your tax dollars paid for it for a while or something? Um, I'm not sure exactly how you first started. I mean, I think Sky was the only channel to do it. Sky is pretty much uh, you know, like, a I guess they position. just took the loss of what it would cost to air it, and it made it an yeah, attraction for the channel? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Sky was just... Legend Network, so it was one of the first things they got. It wasn't until they got the Premiership Football, that was in when that started, that was in 92, mm. that started to really grow. I mean, at the minute in the UK, you've got BT Sport, who's just kind of started, that started last August, and they've got all the, you know, the Rugby Union in England, and they're about to get the Champions League, you've heard of it? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got that as well. Um, so it's, they're kind of doing what Sky did, so... I mean, for Canada, it's like comparing, obviously, you've got Sportsnet and TSN. Sure. It's like kind of, that, kind of started with that kind of battle now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, that's cool. But I, I, I thought of it, like, it's cool that you don't have to pay for it necessarily, but at the same time, like, there's also that time difference. Yes. But now you uh, have to pay for it, and there's a time difference, so it's it's worse both ways. Yeah, the way, the way they do it here is that they show it live, then they repeat it for a week. Right. Before, so you can watch it any. No, I think it's like it's on a certain time. You can mm-hmm. just you know, pay for it and watch. So, um, so Paul, why do you just take this time just to plug anything, plug your podcast, um, whatever? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, you can find what I do at internationalobject.com. That forwards um, to, a, to a subset of my site at sawyerpaul.com now. Um, I have it all under Squarespace, which is amazing. And um, I do a podcast there called the International Object Podcast. Uh, I'll be doing um, some more guest spots there pretty soon. Um, I know people have been uh, disappointed that it's not uh, weekly recently, but um, I'll be adding content there. And I have a a new uh, sort of a collection coming out called The Heart is Raw Season 1, and that's coming out at the end of the month. People will be able to download that for um, pretty cheap. 
um, it's going to be something like four or five bucks for the digital copy and like ten bucks for the the actual print copy for it. Um, that covers the first year of the Heart is Raw uh, articles I wrote last year that people seem to like. Yeah, I, I read a couple of them. I did enjoy them. Yeah, so um, so people can pick up that uh, closer to March. And that's about it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to the network, even though, as you said, it's not coming to England or Canada right away. But uh, I have more oh. than a more than a feeling that it'll it'll be about as easy to get as as American Netflix. Yeah, I'm sure it will be, especially for. I'm quite surprised not starting in Canada at the same time, but I just want to make sure it's okay in the US first because let's face it, that's like their core audience yeah, yeah and then start to spread out into canada i'm i'm fairly certain it's not coming to canada because of uh uh because of bret hart it's just spite <laughs> that, it could be that yeah uh, yeah um as for me i'm on twitter follow me at lowdown wrestling uh, my blog is lowdownwrestling.podcast.com um i've been trying to do articles for the last year and a half but because of work i've been just been focusing more on pay-per-view reviews and yeah um so thanks a lot for listening to the show and if you've got any questions, um, give me Twitter questions or give me an email at loadonwestern.gmail.com and we'll follow you next time. Thank you. <laughs>